Welcome to the Rivers Virtual Sunday Service. My name is Allison. I'm the assistant pastor here. We are currently in a sermon series entitled Invisible Beliefs That Shape Life and Country. We are looking at different invisible values and beliefs that shape our life and culture, and we are comparing them to God's agape love. My family is not religious, so I did not grow up attending church or Sunday school or anything like that. But if you had asked me as a young person to identify a picture of God or a picture of Jesus, I would have been able to without any hesitation. The pictures I would have identified likely would have looked something like this. God the Father would have been depicted as an elderly white man with a beard wearing robes, sitting in the clouds. And Jesus would have been depicted as a young white man with long brown hair, blue eyes, maybe holding a lamb. Looking back, it is striking to me that even though I didn't grow up as a Christian, at a young age, I had already internalized very concrete images of what God looks like just by absorbing the culture around me. And along with those images, I had internalized beliefs about what God is like. Namely, I had internalized the beliefs that God is white and God is male. And it's no wonder that I did. As Stanford University psychologist Stephen O. Roberts notes, we are constantly exposed to the image of God as a white man. According to a study by Roberts and his team, when you search Google's image database for the word God, of the images that depict God in human form, 72% are of a white man. 72%. This is astounding, especially when you consider that Jesus was not a white man. Jesus was a brown-skinned Middle Eastern Jew. Of course, we don't know exactly what Jesus looked like during his time on earth, but he may have looked something like this image created by a team of forensic anthropologists. Very different from the white Jesus I had been exposed to as a child. So why does this matter? The words and images we use to describe God are incredibly important. They shape our understanding of who God is and what God is like. They shape how we view ourselves and others by influencing who and what we value. And they can even shape medical outcomes. For example, a study done at the University of Miami found that among HIV patients, Better immune functioning is found among those who have an image of God that is more compassionate and loving than those who have images of God as more judgmental and punitive. The words and images we use to describe God have great power. They are so potent that the Bible cautions us to hold our comparisons very loosely. In Isaiah 46, God says, to whom will you liken me and make me equal? and compare me as though we were alike. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. The truth is that there is no comparison we can make 
image we can create or story we can tell that will fully capture what God is like. We do the best that we can within the limits of human language, experience, and imagination. But ultimately, every attempt will fall short because there is no one like God. But it is so easy to forget this and to give our descriptions and images too much power, to begin to worship them instead of God. Recently, I have been reading a book by Lauren Winner called Wearing God, Clothing, Laughter, Fire, and Other Overlooked Ways of Meeting God. It is a great book that explores a number of often overlooked biblical metaphors for God. I highly recommend it. Winner points out that the characteristics we attribute to God will always be those characteristics we value most highly in our society. We will value what we take God to be, and perhaps conversely, it's what we value that we take God to be. So if we say that a core characteristic of God is mercy, we will value merciful people. If we imagine God as one who nurtures, we will value nurturing. If we pray to a God who is a property owner, as in the parables of the vineyard, we will admire people who own houses and land. If we focus instead on God as a homeless man, as in Matthew 8.20 and Luke 9.58, we might accord homeless people more esteem. We value what we take God to be, and we portray God in the image of what we value. When God is exclusively or predominantly associated with maleness and whiteness, it reflects who our society most values, men and white people. And it reinforces the message that they are somehow more important and worthy of inclusion than everyone else. The dominance of the imagery at the exclusion of other portrayals implies that men and white people are somehow more like God or are closer to God than people of color and individuals of other genders. This kind of theology, which reflects and reinforces patriarchy and white supremacy, is absolutely untrue and is incredibly harmful. It stands against God's unconditional agape love. As we have discussed throughout this series, God's unconditional agape love says that all people are equally created in the image of God. God's unconditional agape love says that no group of people is closer or more valuable to God. And so the way we visualize and describe God needs to be consistent with and to produce fruit that is consistent with these values. In addition to influencing who we see as having value, our concept of God also shapes who we view as fit for human leadership. The same researchers who studied the Google Image Database conducted a series of studies using a variety of methods with groups of people from both religious and non-religious backgrounds. They found the same results again and again. Beliefs about who rules in heaven influence beliefs about who should rule on earth. The researchers discovered that when people conceptualize God as a white man, 
there is an increased likelihood that they will view white male job candidates as more fit for leadership than their black and female counterparts. This is just wrong. And it stands against God's unconditional agape love. And it reinforces a huge problem in American society where white people and men are overrepresented in positions of power throughout all sectors. Personally, I did not realize how much I was being harmed by the favoring of masculine language for God until I was in a setting where that was no longer the norm. At Union Theological Seminary, where I completed my MDiv, it was commonplace to use gender neutral or feminine language to describe God. At first, I found hearing this language to be both unsettling and exciting. Even though I intellectually understood that God is not male, that God is somehow both beyond gender and able to encompass all genders at the same time, a part of me felt like we were about to get into trouble for doing something wrong. I kept wondering, are we really allowed to do this? We are breaking a norm that had been drilled into me over years and years in the church. The norm that only masculine language should be used to refer to God. As time went on and I started using gender neutral and feminine language myself, I noticed a change in my spirit. I felt freer, more accepted, more understood. It was like I could breathe easier in my relationship with God. The first time I experienced a worship song where God was referred to as a she, I felt chills go through my entire body. It, was, it felt like a blessing of acceptance pouring over me. I realized that for me, using expansive language for God made a big difference in how I experienced faith. It was not about trying to be politically correct, but was about embracing a fuller image of God where I and all people are equally valued, welcomed, and included. So what are some steps we can take to embrace a fuller concept of God? A concept of God that is consistent with God's unconditional agape love. One thing we can do is explore the diversity of language and images used to describe God in the Bible. The Bible is full of so many amazing descriptions of God. Unlike the uniformity that we see in Google images, the Bible uses a wide variety of language, images, and stories to try to help us understand who God is. The more passages you read, the more metaphors and analogies you will come across. For example, God is compared to a rock and a shield a fire and the sun, a fortress and a cypress tree, a potter and a gardener, a father and a mother. The list goes on and on and on. Interestingly, though we tend to gravitate towards human-centered comparisons, much of the language used to describe God is non-human. Even Jesus, who, as a human, 
showed us most clearly what God is like, frequently used non-human figurative language to help us better understand him. Among other things, Jesus described himself as the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine. And so it would seem exclusively thinking of God as human, not to mention the specificity of a white male human, severely limits our understanding of who God is. In her book, Wearing God, Winner says, the Bible's inclusion of so many figures for God is both an invitation and a caution. The invitation is to discovery, discovery of who God is and what our friendship with God might become. The caution is against assuming that any one image of God whatever truth it holds, adequately describes God. Winner is absolutely right. No one image of God has the ability to fully capture who God is. Even with hundreds of images, we cannot pin God down with human language. But with each image, we gain a bit more insight into who God is and are invited to experience God anew. And by exploring many descriptions for God, we avoid giving any one image too much power or influence. This brings me to my second practical suggestion. Engage with an image of God that is unfamiliar to you. Winner points out that despite the plethora of images for God included in the Bible, we tend to gravitate again and again to a select few that are familiar to us such as shepherd, father, judge, and king. There is some wisdom in this. As we revisit familiar images again and again over time and in new contexts, they can become richer and more meaningful to us. However, sometimes they can become too familiar to the point of becoming almost meaningless. When this happens, we can benefit from exploring images of God that are unfamiliar and new to us. One unfamiliar image I have been exploring recently is God as mother. Until I spent time researching, I did not realize just how many biblical passages use mother imagery to help us understand God. For example, the Bible compares God to a mother bear ferociously avenging the loss of her cubs, to a mother hen courageously shielding her chicks from harm, to a mother eagle skillfully teaching her eaglets how to fly. The Bible also compares God to a human mother. There are a number of passages comparing God to women in various stages of pregnancy, including carrying a child in her womb, crying out in labor pains, and giving birth. There are also passages that compare God to a mother nursing, a mother offering comfort, and a mother teaching her child to walk. Exploring this imagery has been very powerful for me. It is expanding what it means for me to think of and to experience God as a good parent, as well as how I think about gender identity and gender roles.
I'm excited to keep engaging with God as a mother, as well as other unfamiliar images of God, and to continue discovering God anew. My final practical suggestion is to explore diverse artistic representations of God. Google images would lead us to believe that white people are the only ones who have created artistic representations of God. This could not be further from the truth. Jesus was born for all people of all times. And so to illustrate this truth, Christians from diverse backgrounds often depict Jesus as coming into their own culture in the present time. Advent, the season leading up to Christmas, which this year begins on November 29th, is the perfect time to explore these kinds of images. If you search online for nativity paintings from around the world, you will find amazing images with diverse representations. You will discover beautiful works of art that reveal the mysterious truth of our faith, that Jesus who has already come is still coming to all people of all backgrounds and in each of our lives again and again. My hope is that as we explore diverse and unfamiliar represent representations of God in the Bible and in works of art, that our understanding of God's unconditional agape love will deepen and expand. That we will be surprised by new aspects of who God is to us that our faith will come alive in new and meaningful ways. If you are interested in discussing this sermon together, please join us on Zoom at 11.45 a.m. Eastern Time. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to think with you about ways that we can embrace expansive images of God together. Thank you. Mm -hmm.